This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. When we first got started, we were focused exclusively in cybersecurity. Then we evolved the podcast into a platform for inspiring technologists to perform at their best. And this is still a constant evolution. Our guest this episode has built an amazing platform and is constantly evolving it to make it better. This episode, we're joined by Camille Stewart. Camille is the co-founder of Share the Mic in Cyber, where she helps present the diversity that exists today in the cybersecurity industry. If you haven't heard of Share the Mic in Cyber, I'd highly recommend checking it out and listening to this episode to see if there's an opportunity for you to participate. Enjoy, and let's jump right into the episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. And we're back in the studio with a guest, not just any guest, but in my eyes, one of the most special guests in the studio today, we have with us Camille Stewart. Camille is the global head of product security strategy at Google and co-founder of Share the Mic. Camille, it's so great to speak to you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you both for having me. I'm honored to be here. Camille, Camille, Camille. We have been waiting for this episode for so long. We first really interfaced with you and share the mic in cyber, which is such an incredible effort. And it's gotten you pretty much all over the country, it seems. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit of your background and what you're doing today. Sure. So I can start with Share the Mic in Cyber since that's how we met. Share the Mic in Cyber is a movement to bring voice to Black cyber practitioners in the space. In the wake of the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, and others, there was an outcry in the cyber community to support their colleagues. But most people felt crippled to inaction, right? The problem is bigger than me. It's a systemic issue. It's an organizational issue. What can I as an individual do? And Lauren Zabrick, my co-founder, and I met on Twitter because I was like, this is such a cool concept. And she replied. And we decided to leverage the concept of sharing your social media profile with another person to amplify their work and their presence and their voice in cyber to create a dialogue around systemic racism and around the opportunities within diversity and how mission critical it is in the cyberspace and to just create new communities and break down silos. And 
it has been wildly successful. We are so pleased by how the community has responded and rallied around it and helped us grow it, quite frankly. It started off as one campaign. We've had four, but now we also have a scholarship and cyber base. And we are launching a fellowship this year, which will allow us to invest in others even more deeply. So aside from Share the Mic in Cyber, I am an attorney by training. I have been working in cyber for quite some time. Started at an open source threat intelligence company after working on the Hill and worked there for a number of years and then went into the Obama administration to work on cyber infrastructure and resilience policy, focused on our international portfolio, so managing relationships with strategic partners on cyber but also any of the private sector-facing stuff, so privacy shield and cyber export controls and a number of other national security-related issues. And then I went to Deloitte to keep doing that work focused on cybersecurity, risk management across DHS and DOD, tech innovation scouting, election security. And then I came to Google to lead security policy and election integrity for Android and Google Play. And almost a year ago, took a new role as global head of product security strategy, um, leading a federated security team. So we sit at the intersection of the central security teams and all of the security teams within each product area. Wow. So obviously you have done so much up until this point, but give us a little bit of that background. Like what was the early starts for you? What was that origin story? When did you really find your professional or personal superpower? Because it seems like advocating for others is really, really comes second nature to you. Did that some, is that something that started early on for you? It is. So origin story, my dad's a computer scientist. So I grew up around technology, sitting in the back of his computer science classes, playing around, but <laughs> I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. And anytime my parents made myself, my sisters a promise, I would draft up a contract and I was ready <laughs> to, to make sure that everybody was on the same page. That kind of, I mean, the, the smallest taste of my advocacy, but my dad was also in politics in Jamaica and all kinds of things. And so I feel like it's, it's in the blood. And quite frankly, the reason I enjoy cybersecurity and any of the work that I do is because of how technology shows up in and around our lives and the opportunity to help people by advancing their understanding and securing them and their families is at the core of that work. And there are some really complex intellectual challenges, which are fun, but people is at the center of it. So you're right. It does tie back to people. It sounds like it ties back to people and integrity, having this quality of being honest, a moral compass, and doing the right thing. It almost makes me curious about the share the mic and cyber a bit more. Like, what is your overall mission now that you've built this platform for yourself and for others? What is your mission going forward with that? Sustained impact. I think the biggest, it, when we started it, there was no goal other than the immediate goal, right? To give a platform to a group of people that traditionally didn't have it, but were in the space and doing the work, right? Correcting some of those tropes on there aren't diverse people working in cyber. There are actually quite a few diverse and talented practitioners in cybersecurity, um, and particularly from this community. We got three on the call right now, right? And yes. so we set out to correct those assumptions, to create space, 
and it has grown organically from there. And so I don't know that we have an end goal beyond greater impact. And we kind of are following the calls of the community. So after the first one, folks were like, you can't stop here. That was great. How do we continue to help? How do we do this again? How do we expand the impact? And so those have kind of led us to the next opportunity. So I can't write a roadmap for what I would like to see this become. I'm kind of just following the calls of the community, the opportunities for expansion and and trying to balance that with bandwidth and, you know, all of those other things that you have to think about, right. which is why I'm so excited about the fellowship, because it'll put somebody who's dedicated to this work on it, because everything has been volunteer run until now. So let's take it back to the beginning of Share the Mic. You just kind of went over a little bit of your origin story. Take us through some of the early conversations about Share the Mic. You have a colleague, Lauren, that has been your ace through this process as well. Tell us a little bit about the early days, what you thought it was going to be like when you created this thing, and what was it like after you created it? Share the Mic is the original campaign by Lovey and Bozma St. John, and we saw that on, or I saw it on Instagram, and their concept was for white women in entertainment and politics to share their platforms with black women in entertainment and politics for a day. And I stumbled upon it and thought, wow, what a great way to just hold space for someone who doesn't have the same reach or the same audience as you. And it's just such an easy lift we need more of this in cyber and, and in national security. And I actually said that on Twitter. Cybersecurity, national security writ large are very networked industries. And even just the opportunity to have your work, your profile in front of new audiences could open the door for so many opportunities. So I tweeted that and Lauren responded and we started to talk about it. At the same time, I also run an organization called Next Gen NatSec, which elevates diverse voices in national security. We put out a bunch of lists about different diverse communities because after leaving the Obama administration, it became clear, similar to what was happening in cybersecurity, that folks were not recognizing the breadth of diverse talent across the national security landscape. So we wanted to elevate that for folks, particularly in the middle of their careers. And, and so I did it through that organization first. Um, on Juneteenth, 2020, we did a campaign called Black Voices. And, and so with that template, we were able to do it in, in cyber through Share the Mic in Cyber. And so I had some expectations because people had gotten really excited about it in the national security space. And it was just a great conversation starter and opportunity to engage with people at very senior levels who you might not have otherwise been able to engage with. But I didn't actually think it would go much further than that. In the national security space, I probably could have pushed it more, but it didn't take hold the way it did in the cyber community. And I think that's because there was a true outcry to support members of the broader cyber community. And, and in particular, in that moment, the Black community. I think that's why it's grown so much. So I could have never articulated that it would turn into this. I knew it would be a day that was empowering and exciting and demonstrative of the talent that is in the cyber community writ large, but also in particular in the Black community within the cyber community. But I never could have dreamt that it would be this. You know, you have insight on something that I feel like I'm not really 
overly exposed to, especially since my collaborator, Chris Cochran, is a black man. And one of my mentors, Marcus Carey, also a black man. There's a lot of diversity that I have in my circle, but in other people's circle, they might not have that diversity. They might only have one ethnic group, one socioeconomic standard in their group. But with what you're doing, you're able to see this from a higher vantage point and then bring more of a flashlight to it and expose the voices that may have just been overlooked in cybersecurity. What is your thoughts on the state of diversity in cybersecurity? Is there a shortage of people or talent, racial groups out there that we don't have in the field? Or is there actually an abundance of people that we're just not highlighting now that you're highlighting through Share the Mic? That's a great point. So there's lots of work to be done, <laughs> right? <laughs> while, while there are a bunch of talented folks, there need to be more. We have a skills shortage in cyber that has created a bunch of open roles. So there is nothing but opportunity. And in a economic landscape where the composition of jobs is changing so much, and in an industry where people are at the center, there's a lot of opportunity for folks of a, a variety of diverse backgrounds to lend their expertise, lend their experiences to tackling this really tough problem space. And so whether that's training up folks that have worked in other industries traditionally or recognizing the importance of non-technical skill sets within cybersecurity or backgrounds, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, all of those things and how they bring color to how technology shows up in the lives of people and then therefore how we can secure that technology, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, if you even think about immigrant communities, how they are connected to the people in their lives who are still in the places that they came from or how they have spread themselves out through migration and moving around, the way they're using technology, the way it shows up in their life is very different and therefore requires different, whether it's content moderation or security controls and absent people in these industries that are thinking about that, that can recognize that will always be turning a blind eye to some of the challenges that we are facing. So what do you see in the future? What changes and steps do we need to make today to realize the future that you see in your own personal mind? I mean, there's actually a lot to do. The problem is a systemic. Even well-intentioned people are operating in systems that make it hard for them to bring about change and bring in new voices and, and things like that. But changing job descriptions and recruiting practices to make sure that you are creating opportunity for non-traditional candidates to demonstrate their skills and abilities is really important. Making sure that the language doesn't push people to self-select out creating mentorship opportunities, more opportunities to kind of break down these silos that we're talking about. So much of what happens in cybersecurity is relationship-based and not just from a network perspective, but even an industry perspective. That's why there's so many conversations about public sector, and private sector collaboration, because reaching across those lines is really important. So thinking about how as an industry, we can create more channels and opportunities to connect across different vectors is going to be really important. And then getting rid of a lot of these artificial requirements, 
right? An entry-level job that requires a certification, that requires you to have five years of experience is an unrealistic expectation. And so as we think about what skills people need to come with to start the job, what training we can provide when they get there and have demonstrated a certain level of aptitude are all opportunities for us to open the aperture on who is taking on these jobs and how we are filling all of these open roles we have. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. So I wanted to also ask you about the opportunities, right? We're talking about a lot of the things that need to change. I feel like there's a, a, some opportunities that we have in front of us right now, like you were mentioning with changing job posting. Like if we were to do that, changing a lot of the description titles for these jobs, and not only would they sound more interesting, but they would also <laughs> apply to the people that would do great in those roles. Opportunities do you see for specifically African-American or Black people today while these systems are being changed to capitalize on? From my experience and from my vantage point, it's about changing the way that you look at opportunities or your freedom. For a while, I was stuck in this fixed mindset where I wouldn't apply for specific jobs because they didn't sound right for me. But, you know, I would still have an interview and maybe things would work out. Maybe they didn't. But I didn't speak up enough. And that was one of the opportunities that I could took for myself earlier. What other opportunities do you see for Black or African-American people today to start to harness on these opportunities before the change is made? I mean, there's nothing but opportunity. I encourage people to learn the lesson you learn, right? Apply for the role, even if you feel like you are not quite qualified, but maybe you can get 50% of the way there, or there's an opportunity for learning on the job. Don't self-select out. Try to have a conversation. Part of that is owning your narrative. I find so often that the difference between someone getting an opportunity and not is their ability to communicate how their skills translate to that role. And even if there are gaps, how they can close those gaps, why the things that they do have are the ones that are necessary on day one, and that the time it will take them to cultivate the other knowledge base or skill sets necessary to do the work can be done in a time frame that allows them to be effective in the role can be a difference maker. The other thing is, Black folks are creating all of the TikTok videos and all of the, the new dances and all the everything, yes. right? Like we are using the technology. We are trendsetting. We are taking technology that was intended for one person, purpose and adapting it to our lives and to our art, you know, families, et cetera. And bringing that lens to security work helping teams actually understand, like I was talking about before, how technology is showing up in the lives of different groups, right? We're using this in a different way. We've adapted it to this. Opens up opportunities for that team to better secure it. 
for them, even better leverage it as a product. And so being able to bring that lens to your work is something you should not shy away from and definitely an opportunity to be a uh, game changer in space. You know, I'm starting to hear something like shine through your voice right now. And it sounds like culture, whether you're talking about different culture, the diversity of culture or your own specific culture means a lot to you. Do you have a story about how culture showed up in a very unique way, whether it's in being creative or being technical that you'd love to share with everybody on the podcast? Yeah, I mean, I just think it because cybersecurity is such a human centered challenge, you can't divorce identity, your personal identity from it because it it is a manifestation of the malicious actors and how they view the world and how are they leveraging technology, but also how the users you're trying to protect or the operators view the technology and are using it. And so example that comes to mind is when I was working in government and having a lot of discussions about cyber norms and how we relate to each other on an international stage around security issues and our ability to show up authentically in those discussions is hampered when we can't acknowledge the impacts of how systemic racism has manifested itself in some of our policy decisions, for example. So why we have invested in certain regions and have not, and then the manifestations of that investment in terms of infrastructure, and then how that translates to how those countries show up in multi-stakeholder bodies that decide how the internet is run and how we create cyber norms is a very real thing. And until we understand how we got to those places, we can't dismantle those decisions or recognize the ones that are the best and were and are and should be maintained versus those that need to be revamped for the current landscape. So I think there's a lot of work to be done to understand how systems have evolved around these concepts and then translate into the biases we see in technology and policy and governance. I really agree with that. And, and it's making me think a bit deeper into all this and, you know, understanding the system, understanding the culture. I think you also have to understand the person, right? There's all these layers of depth that just come from one specific person. And it sounds like you're doing really great work with starting to unravel that. And maybe it would be easier to unravel for others if they really understood who Camille Stewart is. So how would you describe yourself as a person? You know, we talked about your family a little bit, your your background, your bio, but who exactly is Camille? Seems like a real, like, deep. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I am a person who is a doer and have spent much of my career identifying challenges and finding ways to close the gaps on those challenges or the opportunities within those. And so I think as we look at this work with Share the Mic or whether we look at my, my day job and the work that I do through that or the research that I do in the national security space, all of that kind of ties to identifying challenges and kind of wanting to close the gap on those and do the work to articulate how those things are showing up in the world. So for example, the the piece that I wrote on systemic 
racism being a cybersecurity threat really was just bored of me being like, I think people need to get that this is not just the right thing to do, but like this is actually mission critical. Like this is part of the work mm. is understanding how our systems orient themselves around technology and then how that manifests itself into outcomes that we did not intend and then may impact the mitigations and controls that we try to put in place to better secure folks. Like we as practitioners need to be aware of this because it affects the work. And, and I think that just is what happens in many of the things that I pick up. I'm like, oh, people don't see this challenge. Let me just do that. And not only in like cybersecurity and, and, and some of the things that you guys get to see, but in my life, I'm kind of that person too. Like I just, I try to fill the gap, right? Just try to show up for people and, and do the best that I can. So I, I mean, I guess that would be me doing the best I can. Love that. I absolutely love that. And if I could get real for a second, uh, we did a special and, and you know, we have actually talked about the special that we produced called We Are Here. Uh, we've done two seasons of it now. Uh, I actually spoke to you about it and, and got some of your perspective when I was setting out to produce the very first iteration of it. Come to find out, we submitted for an award, the Anthem Awards, which is also a Webby company, and we are a finalist. And so we'll find out if we actually won uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the special projects area. We're up against some really stiff competition. Are we going to win? Uh, maybe not, because we're up against Trevor Noah. We're up against Netflix, and HBO, and, and all that seems great. However, there was a reaction that we weren't counting on. Mm -hmm. on the podcast and we lost listenership because of that yeah. special believe it or not it was one of our most popular specials and yeah. it also resulted in the biggest decline in listenership in hacker valley history so wow. we weren't expecting that at first we're, we were kind of taken aback but if folks don't want to be a part of our tribe because of the, some of the content we put out that we think is important to push, do we want them to be a part of the tribe in the first place? Maybe not. But when you started to do all the work that you're doing, really making waves, what was the reception from the community? Was everybody inclusive and supporting or were there some detractors or people that tried to put you down? So first of all, congratulations. So excited. Um, yeah. I mean, can you imagine being up next to Trevor Noah? Like that is a win <laughs> in and of itself That's with the cool. production teams he has and all that. So mm -hmm. like, I just, we just need to celebrate that. But yes, that is a part of it, right? You're going to encounter pushback when you talk about concepts that make people feel uncomfortable, that causes people to reflect on themselves or environments or communities that they are comfortable with. And it might be more of a reflection of how right you are. And if that causes them, particularly if you are covering it with integrity and having a nice dialogue and all of those things to pull away, it's probably for the best. And I had this conversation or a similar conversation with Lauren and Caitlin, our now co-host, about Share the Mic. And I was like, you guys get to see a lot of the excitement, a lot of the praise, but I experience it a little bit differently from you all sometimes, right? Like the people in my DMs aren't always being like, good work, good job, love what you're right. doing. People come at me sideways quite often, but you know, I don't really take it personally. I think it's a part of standing in truth and challenging systems and norms. And so I make sure that I create space to separate myself from that. But yes, we are doing good work 
And I will say most of the time, the community has been very receptive and supportive, but that is not all of the time. The other thing that I don't tend to like either is that I have to be conscious of the fact that my expertise in cyber is often undercut by the diversity work, right? Like diversity, Mm -hmm. equity, and inclusion is a discipline. People get degrees in that, master's, PhD, the whole deal. I work on cyber issues and happen to be a woman and a Black woman at that and started to articulate the things that I was seeing about the system and about systemic racism and systemic misogyny and all of these things and have done the work to educate myself, but I'm not a DEI expert. Um, Maybe I guess I'm venturing towards it as I continue to do the work to make sure that I can speak authoritative in the spaces that I show up, but people discounting me as a cybersecurity expert or forgetting that that is where I enter into this from and that I am actually talking about it as part of the discipline, not necessarily as like a workforce issue or as a DEI expert is another thing that I have to be conscious of. That is kind of another side of that double-edged sword. So what do you think from your perspective is the one thing that people need to hear today about making the future better? Because like you said, we still have a ways to go. So what is that one thing you would love to tell both allies and the people that are underrepresented What do you want to say to them right now as we march into the future and try to make this place a little bit better? Understanding how systemic inequities, systemic bigotry impacts organizations, institutions, society, et cetera, is a part of the work. It is mission critical to look at how these things impact the technology and the society in which the technology is operating. And so not only is this the right thing to do, it is a mission critical thing to do and also will help us with our workforce shortage. And then the other thing I would say is the work can begin on an individual level. Although these problems are large and will take systemic and organizational institutional change, the collective action of individuals will drive much of that powerful stuff. It was such an honor to have you on the podcast, Camille. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, everything you're doing, share the mic in cyber, what are the best ways for people to do that? Follow me on Twitter at Camille ESQ or my website, CamilleStewart.com. Would highly recommend everyone to do that. We will be sure to drop that in the show notes. Camille, thanks again so much for joining us. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Thanks so much for having me, guys. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.